The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, check us out online at www.christkirk.com. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Reading from Revelation 5, verses 12 and 13. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Lift up your hearts. We lift up the Lord. Let us pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are your creatures, and we want to join with all of your creation in declaring your honor, your glory, and your power. Receive our praise, therefore, in our singing, in our confession, in our prayers, in your word preached, and in your covenant meal. We come seeking to glorify your name in all of this, because all glory belongs to you. And so we come in the name of Jesus to worship you, and amen. amen. Well, we we're spending some time in Galatians looking at the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And last week, Matt Gray talked about love. And this morning, let's talk about joy. You know that we can describe sin as either sins of commission, that's things we just are doing, or sins of omission. Those are things we know we should do or are told to do, but we don't do them. Those are called sins of omission. The former is an active exercise of the works of the flesh through things like envy, jealousy, lust, bitterness, while the latter, omission, is the absence of the works of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. These are things that we are commanded to have. So by not having joy, not exercising joy in rejoicing is in fact a sin, and it should be confessed as such. You remember the verse that Aaron Ventura exhorted you to memorize from Thessalonians 5, right? Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. That's right. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So that rejoicing is right there as a command. So not having joy, not exercise. Oh, sorry. So there we have it. This is God's will for you. And by the way, young people, if you want to know God's will, like in little decisions, you got to start with the basics, which is doing what God says, follow his guidance here. But let's not leave the concept of commission and omission yet. Think about the story of Jesus that he tells about the man who had an evil spirit. The man had cleaned, the evil spirit had left, the man had cleaned his house, but his house is empty. And that spirit came back with seven worse than the first. On principle, think about this as, a, as an analogy of a fresh spring. If water is flowing out of a spring, it stays clean. There's no room. There's no room for anything bad to stay in it. It gets swept away. And because there's no room, the, the pool is full, and it's constantly being filled, and it's clean. So Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a source of living water flowing out of our hearts, like an overflowing spring. And if we're full of the Holy Spirit, no room exists for the works of the flesh. So if you want victory over sins of commission, if you want victory over sins that you're doing, you need to start with confessing your sins of omission, in this case, the lack of rejoicing and the lack of being filled with the Spirit. But you might ask, well, what if my spring is all dried up? But the Bible says that if you're a child of God, your spring is not dry. It's just dammed up. It's just blocked up with unconfessed sin, like a bunch of stones, you know, trying to stop it up. You have the Spirit, 
but you're not filled because you have forgotten that the volume of the spring is related to understanding the grace of God. The source of our joy is the knowledge of the forgiveness in Christ. So if your well is dry, begin your confession here. From Revelation chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that our lives this week have been characterized by sins of commission, selfishness, envy, unrighteous anger, self-pity, bitterness, depression, and a corresponding lack of joy and thankfulness. Forgive us for not dealing with our sins of omission first. Forgive us for not remembering the depth of your grace, the sealing of your Holy Spirit, and the unfathomable love you have for us, just as you have found, <clears throat> sorry, just as you have found us. And so we confess these sins and our specific lack of joy and the fruit of the Spirit and Selah. Amen. In the precious name of Jesus, thank you, God, for hearing your servants. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. In Isaiah 12, verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. With great joy, we claim the promise that when we confess our sins and forsake them, that God is pleased to show us his mercy. His mercy in Christ. He is our salvation. He is our strength. Therefore, we are not afraid. Instead, we are filled with song. And so it is with great joy that I declare to you that your sins are forgiven in Christ. Thanks be to God. And amen. Please remain standing as we read from God's word. Our sermon text is Deuteronomy chapter 8. Give your attention to the Lord's word. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you." So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains of springs flowing out of the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, figs, trees, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, 
and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as in this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your testimony of your great goodness and the abundant blessing that you have given to your people Israel in this chapter of Deuteronomy. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us now to fill us up with understanding of how good you are, how good you have been to us, so that way we might faithfully live before you, that we would not grow lazy in your goodness. We pray that even in this message that you would stir us up to a great obedience, a great love, a great work. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, and amen. Please be seated. So we continue to work our way through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, focusing on faithfulness for the next generation. And uh, last week in chapter 7, we heard Moses exhort God's people that you shall make no compromise, make no covenant compromise with the Canaanite nations or they're gods who live in the promised land, right? Don't, don't go after them. Don't learn to worship like them. Don't learn to serve their gods like they do. So covenant compromise is still a danger. Right? That's a danger. But if God's people were faithful in this, then the Lord promises that he will radically bless them. If you are faithful to the Lord your God, then he is going to bless your socks off. And now the danger is that once the Lord has established Israel in this abundant land, then they would grow comfortable, right? They would say, ah, this is nice. <laughs> I could get used to this. 
And then they would grow complacent. And then they would forget their God, who was the source of all their blessings. Cotton Mather was a New England minister in the 17th century or 1700s, and he accurately said, Faithfulness begot prosperity. Faithfulness begot prosperity, and the daughter has devoured the mother. Faithfulness to God leads to God blessing his people, giving them prosperity. But the danger is that once we are prosperous, then we disobey God. So the title of this is, Do Not Be Forgetful in Abundance. But a, very, a, a title that it could have been substituted is don't be fat and sassy. Right? In God's goodness that he gives to you, do not forget God. Do not be sassy. So the question is, how can God's people be faithful in prosperity? How can God's people be faithful in prosperity? And Israel had to learn the answer to this before they entered the promised land. They had to learn way back in the wilderness. And while in the wilderness, they learned that they had to be completely dependent on God. They had to learn that God provides to the humble. It was God who provides everything that they need. And it's pretty obvious to come to that conclusion when you're in the middle of a dry wilderness and you're thirsty. And you're looking around as, obviously, I cannot bring water gushing out of a rock, right? I don't got the chops to be able to do that, right? God does. God provides to the humble. God provides miracle manna to those who are hungry. But Israel soon is going to go into a land with abundant water with abundant bread, with all the good things that they were longing for back in the wilderness. And then are they going to remember their lesson? Or are they going to forget the Lord their God? This was a lesson Israel repeatedly was taught in the wilderness, that the Lord provides to the humble and God's people must, must faithfully obey the Lord. They had to learn this in the wilderness, and they must not forget this in the prosperity of the promised land. And this is a lesson that we have to learn today. Right? As we look around at the own, our own prosperity that God has given to us, we must learn this, remember this in our lives, in our families, in our church community. So we begin... Uh, in chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, Moses begins with a familiar admonition. He says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord, your, that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Right. Like in previous chapters, Moses presses on the importance of, of obedience. And don't get tired of Moses keep saying this, right? What is the greatest commandment that he's already given? That you would love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with all your might, right? And he says this, and he said it last chapter, 
And guess what? He's going to keep calling us to obedience. And obedience begins today. And he says, this is worth your careful attention and obedience. Because if you will obey the Lord, then he's going to give you life. He's going to give you children. He's going to give you this inheritance in the land. All really good things. Verse 2, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So Israel is at the brink of the promised land, and they are called to remember, to think back to how the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness. The Lord led them, and he purposed to humble his people and to test what was in their hearts. So here's the test. Here's this thirsty wilderness. Here are these 40 days of uncertainty at the Mount of Sinai. Here are these Moabite women and their bales. What's in your heart, Israel? What are you going to do? Who are you going to obey? Who are you going to love? What's in your heart? And what's in your heart was revealed with their actions. And we see what's in Israel's heart. Well, there's a lot of grumbles. There's a lot of idolatry. There's a lot of pride. In verse 3, Moses gives a specific example. He says, the Lord humbled you and you hungered and then led you and then fed you with manna. The Lord humbled Israel. The Lord tested them, and then the Lord provided. And you ask, why did the Lord humble Israel? Doesn't that seem kind of mean? I mean, they are already out in the middle of a wilderness, in a desert, and then the Lord says, let's humble these guys. Let's cause them to be hungry. Isn't this, this mean of the Lord? Why is God humbling his people. Remember what the Lord gives to those who are humble. The Lord gives his grace. The Lord gives his provision. But God does not give grace to those who are proud. And we see that in this story that Israel was proud. Israel was proud pretending that they knew better than God. They say, hey, we're out here in this middle of this desert. There's no food. There's no water. What, God? Are there not enough graves in Egypt that you would have to bring us out here so that we might die? Like, what are you doing, God? But God humbled Israel, who could turn to no one else for bread. Right? You can't go to the land of Goshen. You can't go to the hand of Pharaoh. There is no one that can provide what they need, except the hand of the Lord. And then the Lord provides miracle manna to teach Israel, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Lord. Bread was not the, bread was not the object lesson. It's not just about the bread. 
Israel had to be humble and made dependent on the Lord for the basics, for the bread, for the water, for the clothes and the footwear. It says that they, that they never wore out. So that way, they would know that they are dependent on the Lord for everything, for all things. And that's what Jesus says uh, when, he is, when he is tempted by uh, Satan. Make some bread. You can do it. He said, no, no, no. It is not, man does not live by bread alone, but on the Lord. This is what Israel learned. And the Lord is humbling, the Lord is testing, and the Lord is providing because he is like a father disciplining his son. Right? The Lord is using this time to be able to grow up his people, to grow up a son to maturity. It says, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So the Lord is like a father who disciplines his son that he might grow up. And often we feel like we can do without the discipline of the Lord. Thank you very much. If I have to have a preference, do I want to be disciplined? Often we say, no thank you, or heck no, like no way. Right? Many of you children, some of my children, they prefer that I do not discipline them, especially in the moment. And I know, looking back at my own childhood, like I did not prefer to be disciplined by my parents. But afterwards, looking back, I look at what my parents did, the spankings they did, the training, now that was their love. That was their mercy. Right? And you look back and you are fond of even what they did. And a memory uh, that I had of, of my pops disciplined me. Uh, I was reminded of the story back when I was probably about four or five years old. And it was wintertime and it was, there was snow on the ground. I, I don't remember what I was doing, but I do remember Mr. Johnson next door neighbor, uh, was coming out to get his mail. And I remember packing a snowball and just letting it sail. And it beamed Mr. Johnson directly in the back of his bald head. And I scampered. <laughs> and, and I'm not sure how my sin found me out, uh, but it did. It might have been my mom seeing me or my sister ratting on me, or even worse, Mrs. Johnson reporting it to my parents. Um, and I'm sure I got disciplined. I'm sure I got spanked, but I actually don't remember that part. What I do remember was what my dad did. And he led me through a wilderness, through the snowy driveway, over to Mr. Johnson. And I'm looking up at uh, Mr. Johnson, and I am humbled, partly because I was also terrified of this ex-Marine with like the uh, uh, anchor tattoo on his arm, and I was humbled, and my father disciplined me by having me grow up. I had to ask for forgiveness. I had to confess my sin, and that put the fear of Mr. Johnson in me, <laughs> And the fear of my father in me, 
I'd say even the fear of God in me. And what was the result of that discipline, of my father leading me through that testing? So that I would grow up, grow up in faithfulness. And that's what the Lord does. He disciplines us so that way we might obey. We look at verse 6. The response to God, the Father's discipline, is obedience. He says, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. What do you do? What's your response to this wilderness trial, this wilderness testing? It's dependence upon the Lord. It's humble. um, It's humility before the Lord. It is obedience to God. Because Israel's situation is soon going to change. They are moving from this harsh wilderness to a prosperous paradise. But what does not change in their new situation? It's a humble reliance upon God and faithfulness to God. And we see that Israel should be motivated to obey. They should be motivated to obey because the good Lord is bringing them in to a good land. And just get your, get your desert-dwelling nomad imagination on. And listen to what God's promising you. Like, you have been living 40 years camping. No indoor plumbing. Just imagine what this is that God is giving to you. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land filled of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and the hills, gushing water, right? No more thirsty wilderness. It's a land of wheat and barley, right? There's bread. You got your basic needs. But it's more than just basic bread. You got vines, woo, wine, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you will dig copper. Israel should hear this and just give some holy high fives like, can you believe the good land that God is giving to us? Milk and honey totally underscored or understated what the promised land would be like. So, so good. And the abundant provision should produce a doxology from God's people, a roaring doxology. Verse, verse 10, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. You have this massive feast before you. You eat, you enjoy, and you thank the founder of this feast. What's our response to all of this blessing, all of this prosperity, all of this grace? Well, it begins with with gratitude. It begins with thanking God. And Israel should not pretend that that the land that God gave was not good. Israel didn't have to act like this was not a good land that God was giving to them because it was the best. 
They should faithfully receive the good things, the good wine, the good food, the good jewelry. Right? And we just look around at our own community. Right? We just had a good, good party. So what can we thank God for? Good brisket. Right? Good games of dodgeball. Good bonfires. Right? Look at all of this good things that God has given to us. And we don't have to pretend like they are not good. Right? God did not bring his people into a land and declare this is prohibition era. Right? No more joy, no more wine, no more happiness. Right? God was excessive in the promised land. And this good land should continually remind Israel of their good God. Good land reminds us of a good God. Or it should. Having spent a bit of time with Israel, Moses then feels prompted to give, to give a warning. Like, I, I know you guys. I know what you're going to do. He says, beware lest you forget the Lord your God. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you this day. The warning is that in all the abundance, do not forget the Lord. It's interesting. You forget the Lord by forgetting his word. You forget the Lord by forgetting to do what God wants you to do. I take an example from, from your own life. Like, guys, here's a warning. Do not forget your mother. And you say, of course, right? I'm not going to forget my mama. I even love my mama, right? Don't forget your mother. But then 10 minutes later, you forget to take out the trash after she says, take out the trash. Right? What have you done? You have forgot your mother. Why? Because you have forgotten her word. You have forgotten to obey her. Right? Likewise, and so much more importantly, God is forgotten when you forget his commandments, his rules, his statutes. They are not done. Right? So forgetting, and what we're going to see that remembering is not just something that happens up here. Right? Forgetting is not limited to your head but it comes out into your hands. So Moses gives the setting of the temptations to forget. Be careful. Watch out. This is when you need to take care. Take care that when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery Moses says that their prosperity will give rise to self-exaltation right you got this massive pile of God's goodness and all of a sudden you're just climbing up and now you're at the top of this and you say I'm looking pretty good up here This rise of prosperity gives rise to self-exaltation, to pride. Their hearts are lifted up. But once your heart is lifted up, then you forget God. You forget where you've 
come from. You forget how you got there. You forget what you have been forgiven. And in their abundance, they forget the word of God. And now they forget the deliverance of God. And a heart that exalts itself, forgetting God, it's a foolish heart. If you do this, it's a, it is a foolish heart. And it says insane things. Verse 17, say, be careful. Be careful if you say, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Right? Beware lest you become fat and sassy. Right? It is not by your power that you got all these things. Right? Whose hand has it been coming from? It's been from the Lord. Comfort lulls you to forget. Forgetting allows pride to rise. Pride says crazy things and does stupid things. Right? You just think about the crazy talk of King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? Here's a man who was blessed, right? who has this grand kingdom, this amazing palace, and he looks out and says, I have built, look at this amazing um, country that I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. And what happens next? Right? The next thing is that he is chewing the cud with a herd of cows. Right? Pride is then humbled. Right? This is the foolish talk of, a, of the rich fool in the parable that Jesus told. Right? Remember, this is the man who had um, his, his crops and his lands produced abundantly. And then he tore, tears down his old barns to build new ones. And he says to his own soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared Whose will they be? So it is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. With all these blessings, it makes your life comfortable. And you can grow content. You can grow proud. But God says, beware. Beware you become a fool. Right? It's easy to look around at a healthy and a strong church community and to see all these blessings. Right? We get this church. We have this church community. We have excellent options for Christian education. Right? We have steady got jobs. Right? We have kids who are not constantly chucking snowballs at their neighbors. Right? And we look at all of this and we recognize it is good. But the danger is when we start believing that it's from my power, it's from my obedience that we have gotten all of this. But where does it come from? It comes from God, and it comes from faithfulness to Jesus. Right, if you, and if you start putting your trust in the blessings, saying, I'm good, right? I got enough because we live in this strong community, 
or because my kids are at Logos or because my kids are getting well-trained at Whitehorse Hall, right? We're good. We're safe. Your soul can relax. Fool. Or you think that I've, I've acquired enough Bible knowledge, right? I know the Reformed faith enough. Like, we got, we got John Calvin. Right? Or you say, I have a better understanding of God's grace than that other guy does. Right? I understand that I am totally not deserving of God. Therefore, I'm good. Right? We can settle in. We can grow content. We can grow comfortable. We can grow complacent. The Lord says, take care. Beware. But in contrast, Israel is called to remember. Verse 18, you shall remember your God, for it is he who gives power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Right? Israel, think back. Where would you be without God? Where would you be? You'd still be slinging bricks Slinging mud for bricks to build Pharaoh's bathhouse. That's where, right? In slavery, in bondage, in hopelessness. It was the Lord who delivered Israel out of slavery. And if you think it was your doing, then that is pride. That is foolishness. Moses says that there are solemn consequences if Israel acts the fool and forgets the Lord in their abundance. He says, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. What's the danger of forgetting the Lord? Ultimately, it is death. Beware lest you forget the Lord and you go off and you find another God. If you go off and serve other gods, that they shall perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. If Israel forgets the Lord and then goes off and starts to live like Canaanites, then the Lord's going to treat his people like Canaanites. They shall totally perish. Here's the danger of comfort and compromise go hand in hand. So what do we take from this? As God's people, what do we take from this? We go back to what Israel learned in the wilderness whether it is in barrenness or in blessing, go humbly to the Lord. What do you do when there is prosperity in your life or when you are thirsty in the wilderness? You humbly go to the Lord. As I read reading through this chapter, I know that this is a chapter on prosperity. Right? What do you do in abundance? But notice that, that Moses begins in the wilderness. It is the Lord who leads his people in the wilderness. And you ask, what is, the, what is God doing 
in the wilderness. Right? Why this trial? Why am I being humbled? So that way he may test what's in your heart. He will test what's in your heart and say, what will you do? Who will you go to? And the gospel is, is that you go to Jesus. Think back to Israel in the wilderness. They had nothing. Where do they go? They go to the rock that gushed out water. Who is that rock? Paul says in 2 Corinthians that that rock is Jesus who followed them in the land. Where do you go when you are hungry? You go to the one who is the bread of life. Where do you go when there are fiery serpents of accusation and sin that are biting you? You look to Jesus. You look to that cursed serpent raised up on a pole. All of these are blessings that only come from God. That only come in Jesus. And here's the question. What do we want? Who do we want? Do we just want the blessings? Or do we want Christ and the blessings that come from him? What happens when the blessings fall away? Will you fall away from Christ? What happens when the crops fail, when the water dries up, when the good house that God gives to you, there's repairs, right? Your appliances break, the basement floods, your job is lost, your courtship ends. There is no courtship or a single date on the horizon. What happens when the child dies at eight weeks? Where do you go? Who do you turn to? What's in your heart? Humbly turn to the Lord. Obey him. You love him. And in that humble obedience, the Lord does promise to bless you. The Lord does promise to give you his abundance. So what do you do in the abundance? Don't forget his word. Don't forget he has delivered you from slavery. Don't forget that he has placed a great commission before his people. Beware lest you feel comfortable. Beware lest you feel contempt. Beware lest you feel like we got enough people in this room. Look to Christ and wholeheartedly follow him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you have blessed us beyond anything certainly that we deserve. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us as individuals. Thank you for your faithfulness as a family, Lord, as as a church, even as a nation. Lord, we ask that in all of this blessings that we would not forget you. Lord, that in all of this that we would turn to your son, Jesus, and that we would faithfully obey him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated.
Let me read a brief passage from Isaiah here. The poor and the needy search for water, but there's none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I will set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together, so that people may see and know and may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this, that the Holy One of Israel has created it. So I've been reading a small book by uh, Roy Hessian. It's uh, about the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in this book, he makes the point that God's spirit, God's grace is like an ocean. And it's just looking for a low spot to fill. Well, what is a low place? It's our needs. This passage I just read from Isaiah supports this. The poor and the needy, the thirsty, the parched, they search for water. And God responds that he will answer not just with teaspoons, but with rivers, with uh, springs and pools. And you see our needs as perhaps a hindrance. Some of us see our needs as perhaps a hindrance to coming to meet with God. But uh, that hindrance is really a low spot. It's, uh, it's uh, an opportunity for us to meet with God. That these needs are the very areas that God's grace, his ocean of grace, is aiming to fill. So, do you have needs? Is your life or your soul parched? The Lord has not forsaken you. In fact, Jesus tells us that whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Now, Jesus is expanding on this passage in Isaiah and adding that the water he provides is living. Remember what he said in John 4 to the woman of the well. If you knew the gift, that God, the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, what kind of water is living water? Jesus explains, indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. Now, that woman of the well knew she had plenty of low spots that needed filling. She had at least five previous husbands and the present living boyfriend, just for starters. But instead of rejecting her for these sins or for her nationality, remember she was a Samaritan, or her gender, remember she's a woman, the disciples were surprised that Jesus was talking with her, Jesus offers to fill all these low spots of needs with his ocean of grace. And what happens when rivers of living water flowed? Others were blessed. In this case, the woman hurried to tell everyone about Jesus. And after the villagers gathered to hear Jesus, they concluded that they too believed, not just on her testimony, but from encountering Jesus personally. And as this passage says, God takes the wastelands of our lives and grows a garden so that the world may see and understand that it is he who has done this. So come and be filled. The charge is this. Don't take your eyes off Jesus, even when he blesses and blesses and blesses. And when you have your low spots, look to Jesus. And when you're in prosperity, look to Jesus. So receive the benediction of the Lord. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon and remain with you always. And amen. Christ Church downtown thanks you for listening.